0: Welcome to episode 17 of Women Blazers. I'm your host, Deanna Witter. Today, I'm excited to welcome Shelly Kayat as my featured guest. Shelley is the Senior Vice President of Global Partnerships for the Cleveland Cavaliers of the NBA. I had the pleasure of working with Shelly for almost five years, and in this episode, you'll hear her share her incredible and unique journey. Never allowing herself to be put in a box, she navigated up in her career through hard work, pursuing opportunities that excite her, and being powered by the responsibility of representation and blazing trails for women in this industry. Shelly, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for
1: having me, Deanna. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Yes, I'm happy that you're here. I mean, we worked together for almost five years. It's <laughs> so crazy. Yes, it, it is crazy. So I'm happy that you're on the podcast and you get to help us end strong for this season.
1: Oh, and for one of the closers. Wow, that's a lot of pressure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Now, so, Shelley, knowing you, I, I know you went to Tulane uh, University um, as a collegiate athlete. And it's hard not to know that you weren't a co- collegiate athlete. You get stopped by everyone because of how tall you are. <laughs> but how did your college experience playing basketball shape your career path?
1: Absolutely. What's well, interesting is most people don't know I'm a collegiate athlete now because in virtual world, they don't know how tall I am. So it's been quite different over the last uh... Time frame, but uh, no, I um, so you know I think collegiate um, athletics has been a big part of my not only my career I'd say life you know for me anything that it taught is it's it's time management and I know that you know that you know I I think it also taught me how to figure things out um, and then just having that mental strength I remember starting like my first year as a freshman and preseason, and we're on the track at six o'clock in the morning having to do this like mile in a certain time frame that was like a mental challenge and you know I didn't get it the first few times and having you know to go through that and I mean that was like a gut gut gut-wrenching experience but you know once you complete it and that feeling of reward and success you kind of want more of it so I think it really has shaped my the my ability again with time management and just to um you know really fit, know that you have to figure things out
0: yes yes find solutions create them um keep working toward those goals I, I couldn't agree more you know while at Tulane you also studied um you studied business what was the plan while, with your degree following graduation like what did you what was the goal and what was the plan with that degree as you were as you were in school
1: Well, I know it's going to sound unlike me, but I absolutely did not have one. (laughs) I knew. The
0: reason
1: I actually chose business, I was all over the place. I was thinking about, you know, potentially being a judge, being a therapist, a psychiatrist. I was kind of all over the place. And I figured that if I went in business, that it would be wide enough that I could learn a wide range of things and be able to then figure out what I wanted to do after that. Um, So it really organically happened, but it it kind of, for me, business left a wide open um, platform to be able to choose um, the path I wanted to go once I dove into things a little bit
0: deeper, what was that first job opportunity after graduation so it was at
1: Harris Casino, um, which was in New Orleans uh, nearby. It was in promotions. It was extremely entry level. I was on the floor doing a lot or in the marketing department, but working a lot of promotions, um, which is quite interesting um, of a job and then that job led into um, moving into the advertising department, which is really fun, um, but you know starting out right away you just kind of just you want to get your hands dirty right you want to do a good job um and so you just jump in and and go hard and that's and that's really what i did
0: i've worked at a casino so in college i also worked at the casino oh, I didn't know and that. Then, yeah i worked at um soren casino in college and i remember like going home and like the noise like you could not get that ringing bell of <laughs> your
1: head did you like did you struggle with that too? Well, Deanna, not only the noise, but at that point there was still smoke. And so oh, yeah, it was the smell of smoke. It was the noise. It was, yeah, it was definitely um overload on senses. That that is absolutely right.
0: Yes, the cigarette smoke was insane. I like the cigar smokers too. Like, oh my gosh, it's disgusting. Um, sorry, smokers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> was your biggest takeaway um, from your time at uh, Harris?
1: You know, I think one thing is that relationships matter. So actually, at my time in Harris, um, I I had a unique opportunity, an agent reached out to me and asked me to come play basketball overseas in in Prague. So right outside of Czech Republic. Um, And so I did that. And after I finished playing, I came back to Harris in database marketing. And, um, and the only reason I, I say that because I learned my... Back to what you asked about what you learned, that relationships matter. It is because of the relationships that I established when I was there the first time that they were willing to hold a spot or create a spot for me when I came back after playing and I you know that really resonates with me today and kind of why I'm in a world of relationships um because because that really was an important one for me that you know that early you're not thinking about those kinds of things right you're just like let me go off I'm you know exploring the world and and then I came back and was like oh crap I need a job um <laughs>
0: right so it was a good well, I didn't even I didn't even know that you played overseas that's crazy from from that experience alone too just going out and being in another country playing you're all alone i assume right
1: absolutely so anybody that's watched love and basketball it was kind of that scene um where you, yeah. you know you the coach because actually people did not speak english very well where i was it was more rural area outside of prague like 40 minutes outside of prague and so you literally people are looking at me they've never seen a black woman they've never seen a 6-3 woman and it's my first time traveling they don't speak english so there were quite a bit of barriers <laughs> i had a teammate her name was ruth from arizona and she had actually been there before and so she was my my savior there she really helped kind of let like allowed me to transition to but yes you're right it's an adjustment you and that's when I go back to figuring things out and you just finding a way because that was that was a platform of, of nothing that we had to you know I had to create um the ability yeah. to be successful in a, in a in a in a challenging environment I would say
0: so after you come back you, you work at Harris as you, as you explained um you then um, break into your first sports career opportunity with the New Orleans Hornets. You know, how did you land that opportunity?
1: So that's an interesting one. I um so after I was with with Harris and corporately they decided to restructure across the country and so they were moving database marketing department um to Tunica, Mississippi. Now, I think we can relate <laughs> on this, but I, you know, I came from a small town and I was not, and I just moved to the city, right? So I was not trying to move to Tunica, Mississippi. No offense, I've actually never been, but um, I didn't want to go there. And so I, I actually was working with my boss, our VP of advertising at the time, Sandy McNamara, and she told me that the, the Hornets were moving back to New Orleans from um, Oklahoma, where they had moved after Hurricane Katrina, because they, they'd mm-hmm. stayed there for a while and they were hiring a, a large percentage of their staff. So I went to a career fair and I interviewed for two roles. One was a coordinator of corporate partnerships and one was a coordinator of um, marketing, which is similar to what I was doing um, at Harris. And I interviewed for both um, marketing t- department called me first. So, of course, you know, that you just said yes. Right. That that early. <laughs> you just go. And then corporate uh, offered me a job, but I had already said yes. Um, and I'm really glad I did, because by going in the marketing area, I learned a, a different space and different area of the business and sports. Um, so it was really beneficial. But I did that for a year before moving over. Then um, corporate had an opening and that started my my corporate career.
0: While at NOLA, I'll say NOLA to keep it short. <laughs> you, so you grew from a coordinator um, to the director of community investments. How would you describe um, your growth and how you approach navigating up um, within the club or the team? Well, the one
1: thing I'd say lesson learned there, don't think you know it all. Uh, and I'll say that because, you know, I was in corporate and I was really starting to grow. I was, in, I was managing accounts, had moved into sales and corporate. And I was really kind of going that path. And the community investment role came open. And it was an opportunity, a unique opportunity, where this role reported to our president at the time, whoever. Um, and I, when the opportunity came open, I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to deviate from sales, right? And it's nothing against community, it just was a different path. And I felt that it would derail me from the path. So I actually you know thought about it really long and hard. And and my boss at the time, Tom Ward, was a mentor to me said, you know, I I think you should do this. It was the ability to manage a team, um, which I was was probably two levels away from at the time. And, you know, you're reporting to the president and there's a lot of opportunity. And so I did it and it all worked out because around that time was the economic downturn and a lot of companies needed to justify their partnerships. And so it actually connected to touched a lot of partnerships at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. I was able to manage for the first time and and so roll into leadership. So it just was a great opportunity that if I tried to keep my head where I thought it should go, I would have missed this opportunity.
0: Now, after five years, you actually then make a move to join the Cavaliers where we got to work (laughs) together. And um, I think when you landed there, you were a senior director of partnership marketing and strategy What inspired that move? I mean, obviously, you're in New Orleans. You have this incredible opportunity. You're working directly for the president. And then you have this opportunity for the Cavs. What inspired that?
1: Uh, I guess I'd have to say Brad Sims. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Our,
0: our, Our buddy, our buddy Brad.
1: Yeah. No, look. Uh, back to the relationships when I was um, in New Orleans, um, you know, Brad was with Team Bo and he worked a lot um, with us on projects and um, and then he, he became the chief revenue officer in Cleveland. And and really what inspired the move was um, when he, we talked about me coming up there, it was about really changing the structure of the department and really changing um, what the potential outcome and, and revenue growth could be based on that transformation. And I love the ability to transform something and, and make it. Different and make it uh, to be more effective, more efficient, more successful, and so that really, for me, was the inspiration. It wasn't an easy yes right at first, um, but um, the ability to create change is what really drove me to the role.
0: Describe that experience of moving to a new state, a new city. Um, you know, what were some of those challenges, and what were the rewards of making that move? For yeah, you? well, let's
1: just be honest here and candid. When I <laughs> when I told my family and friends that I was moving to Cleveland, a place I knew no one at they told me like, what the heck are you doing? Um, LeBron is long gone and not coming back. It's 2012. And it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> You're far away from family. So I got the blues on this move. Um, and so when you talk about what are the rewards, I'd say, first of all, I get to show them all my championship ring. How would you have? <laughs> so that, that was one reward. Two, I met my husband. Um, so that was obviously a worth it in itself. But um, but I'd say, look, what I, I learned and the rewards of the move is that Cleveland is is underrated. And, and until you actually experience somewhere, you don't know what the positives can be. And I'm, I'm really big on finding the positives in an area. I feel like you can put me anywhere and, you know, I'd figure out the positives. But the people here have been absolutely amazing. I still don't like the weather. I never will. Um, but, but it's been a great group of people, um, even our organization around the community that I've met, I've met lifelong friends, again, met my husband and, and just the growth from that, uh, has been, has been really great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely relate. I mean, obviously when, when we, when I, when Brad reached out to me about the role and joining, um, Mm -hmm. you guys there in Cleveland, Um, everybody in Michigan was like, you cannot move to Ohio. (laughs) I mean, like the Michigan, Ohio library is so like, so deep. And I was like, listen, it's Cleveland. It's so like cleveland doesn't even want to be in ohio it wants to jump into lake erie like it's so at the top of the state and um but no i to your point like getting to cleveland what a what an amazing city and, and it's so underrated and it's just a hidden gem in our country like it's just a beautiful city with great people great sense of community the fan base you know for the indians the Cavs, and you yeah. know obviously the browns is so strong um it's a it's a heavy sports market and um you know, I, I couldn't agree more. Joining an organization with great culture, great leadership from obviously Brad, who you know, obviously recruited both of us, um, Len Kamarowski and obviously Dan Gilbert is the owner um at the time. So that was um that was a that was a big move. And and it sort of once you started to break it down, it was actually easier. <laughs> you know, like but the instant of moving is always like I think moving holds so many people yeah. back, yeah. and and I think that's that's the conversation I feel like I've, I've been having throughout these podcasts is this like this move and what holds us back from moving. But like to your point, the positives you got to find the positives and the results. Like I haven't heard anybody move and be like, oh, I regret that. Like you know, there hasn't been a lot of those. Um, and so I, I hope people continue to um, be inspired yes. and have an openness uh, to moving when the opportunity is pre- now, you, present no you you brought
1: up something really big, and I know you just obviously made a really big move um, with your own success and I do yeah. think that to your point, yeah. we especially as women we need to we need to be free to take that move and and kind of live on the edge a little bit because you know you saw the vision in moving to Cleveland. you saw something that no one else saw right and, and even in in Houston and yeah. I think to your point, like um, you've got to be that visionary to take the, the leap of faith in a sense in order for you to get the, the positive outcomes. People are like, oh, well, I'm not growing. I'm not getting here. But unless you take some leaps, you know, you kind of don't always see the, the
0: reward. It's so true. Now, you've climbed the ladder there at the Cavs over the past eight years. You know, how would you describe that journey? And what do you most enjoy about your current role as the SVP of Global Partnerships? Well, I, I
1: describe the journey as quick. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it really is. You know, I think in sports, you're like five years years, 10 years. I mean, it's going on 15 years now. Um, So it it all definitely goes into a blur. Um, but you know, I, I think I when I think about the journey, um, I think about the ability to create. You mentioned the organization and just you know under Dan and and the innovation and the ability to create. We were able to and you've done it on the ticket sales side. You know, in, in corporate we have a lot of accolades and rewards because of all of the innovation mm-hmm. that we were able to bring forth. Well, you don't bring that forth unless you one have the ability to push innovation, but then two have an organization willing to commit to it. And so I think that um, the ability to create over the years and, and do different things and get have successes. That aspect uh, has been great, um, and you know I love about corporate. I'm, I'm very biased, as you know, but I think the ability to do something new all the time. I mean, heck, I'm still learning. We 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 go from. I remember back when I started, we couldn't even put casinos on the court floor because it was it was not allowed. Like that's where the <laughs> rules were then. You know, the NBA. <laughs> It's so progressive right. and has changed, you know, gone through fantasy gaming. I've gone through now figuring out how to, to, to drive revenue on sports betting, to selling internationally. I mean, who would have thought we'd be selling internationally? <laughs> and, and so the, that ability to continue to, to grow from a business perspective and, and maximize the business is, for me, is what I love most about our area of the business.
0: Um, what do you love most about leadership? And why do you think it's important that we have more women leaders in positions that like you have? And we have, you know, across the industry. So that is industry. a great
1: question and so timely. I actually just got up a call with some people in the NBA about the, with a group of women leaders um, from the NBA league office as well as a couple of teams on this very same conversation, um, Deanna. And it is, you know, one of, one of the comments came out, like one of the leaders... Um, First of all there's only like from a corporate standpoint like four revenue generation leaders in the league and, and i don't have the exact number but i think that's around and of course when you layer in there's a few ticket sales leaders but the number's not very high and the nba is one of the most progressive leagues around so and diverse leagues right so um so they don't exist mm-hmm. and one of the comments was that you know the one of the the women was on a call with other call it cro's and she was the only female of like 10 to 12 you know cro's and they don't exist and so when you have that, the challenge is the, it's tough to, to grow the pipeline because they're not thinking in that aspect. Like you have to be deliberate and intentional in order to grow women into yes. these roles. And and if women, a lot of the, the challenge with women is some, oftentimes they don't speak up. And so when you have the fact that mm-hmm. they're not speaking up and, and men aren't being deliberate about it, you continue to have the same, which is a lack of women in leadership roles. And so, again, I've been lucky you know, it's been an organization where, you know, we have a lot of women in leadership roles, like executive leadership roles. Um, But I think that it has to be more intentional. Um, I think that if that doesn't happen, it's not going to grow.
0: I couldn't agree more. And and obviously, the conversations have been so elevated more recently. Um, So to your point, you had a conversation today, I was on a on a um, female quotient you know, conversation yesterday that was live broadcasted. And we were talking about the same topic and intentionality is so key here, but and it's, it's being intentional on both sides. Yeah. Us as women have to be intentional in our moves and the things we're doing. And to your point, our voices have to be louder. And the other side, our voices have to be valued. And what we bring to the table has to be valued by the individuals that are making the decisions on those opportunities for women. Um, It it is a very critical topic, I would say at this point, Um, not just for society, but also for the health and growth of our business so it's it's all in all in um in in very specific perspective of opportunity i couldn't agree
1: more and you know i'll give you another example actually this morning uh you know in our organization and look i think that cavaliers have been one of the most progressive teams when it comes to diversity and inclusion like our executive leadership team is very diverse Mm -hmm. like we are on the progressive end of things Um, but we were having a conversation about a piece of artwork that's going to be public and the artwork was about unity and it actually one was, was the missing an African-American female in the picture, like it depicted. And so, you know, again, every person that was in the room um, or on the call, shall we say, was very, <laughs> has been very committed and on the forefront of making sure everybody's inclusive, right? Like they are like dead set on making sure we're doing the right thing. And it just, they didn't have the awareness of that, right? They're not coming from a lens of an African-American female. And so the ability, the fact that they have people like myself and diversity across our leadership team helps to bring that to light and and create successes in these types of scenarios, right? That image could have gone out without it. And then that would have been a bigger conversation publicly, right? And so right. I think that yes. focuses on the importance of diversity. And it's not about ill intention. It's not people intentionally trying to do wrong. It's just a lack of awareness sometimes. Um yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's definitely, I, I, from my, from my experience, it definitely is an unconscious mm-hmm. in most situations. And, you know, to your point, nobody's trying to do anything wrong. It's just, they don't have this, they're not looking at the world or the situation from a different lens or the lens that maybe you you would see or maybe myself would see coming from where we come from, you know? Um, somebody had said something the other day that I thought was really interesting. And I guess i never really broke it down this way. Like you know, you know how hard it is to be in this industry um as a person of color and you know how hard it is to be in this industry as a woman. Now imagine just being a woman of color (laughs) in this industry. And it's like you're like double challenged um with some of the things that we're hit with or even just our responsibility. You know, there's a lot of weight of moving you know the needle forward in that space as well because there's so So, many of us. So
1: and on top of that, um The weight, you hit it really on the nail when you set the weight because you've got not only the weight of that, that there's so few of us, but we can't fail. So it's the weight of getting it right. Right now we have, been. I know right. you're very much built from an athletics perspective and sports and competitive nature. Yes. So for, I think for us, like that, that drives us, but if not every woman's built the same and they shouldn't have to be. So, you know, that weight on some women could be problematic and, you know, maybe why more aren't growing in the space. So it's just like trying to figure that piece out as well. But I agree with you. There is, there's a weight there.
0: Now you say on this topic just for a second Further, um, you know, obviously, because, you know, you're one of the few women in in your position in the industry um, and in the NBA, as you described in the beginning of this, this topic, you know, what are some of the challenges you face? And maybe it's more in the sense of how do you overcome them being one of the only women? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think
1: back to your point, challenges, you're like, uh, you know, I do agree. think that every challenge has its opportunity. Right. And so one of the, the challenges I think that women would face, keep in mind, I'm the only African-American revenue corporate leader um, as an SVP. So, um, you know, you talk about that double, that double component, um, so one, people mm-hmm. are not used to seeing me. You know, I, I'm in a leadership role that's actually a lot very external, right? So I sit in front of other CEOs, and a lot of other CEOs happen to be white males, older white males, and they are not used to seeing an African American female in my role. Now, does that put me at a disadvantage? Is that I'm not saying that. Um, I'm saying I'm, you know, I'm saying that they're not used to seeing me and, and having me make be that decision maker, right? And so they've got to get used to that. <laughs> um, and I take
0: right exactly. the process
1: that i take that on mm-hmm. as a positive right that challenge on the opportunity to help get them not and i don't want to say it's about getting them comfortable but i want them to know that like having me in this position is, is hopefully at some point going to be the norm that it shouldn't be a, a a second thought right like it's just a part of business and so, you might see me or you might whoever the demographic right so i think awareness is a big piece um and then you know, I, again, back to just there are things that come up that people aren't aware of um, as being a woman. You know, I think about dress. Right. I think about, you know, men are yeah. used to being in suits. And so they're not used to women, you know, being in bright clothing sometime or different type of clothing. But I, it's my job at this level to let people know that that is the norm. And although it might not be my style, it should be a woman's prerogative to be able to wear that. Right. It doesn't change my work. Um, mm-hmm. But equal. I think the biggest thing is that equal. We're equal to men, but we are different than them. And it's okay to be different. So we've got to embrace our differences.
0: So in the last couple of years, you had some major events happen in your life, um, your personal life. And you actually kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, when you moved to Cleveland, this is where you met your husband. And, um, so you got married, you know you got married I think right as I was leaving uh the city, and you've also welcomed your beautiful baby girl into the world, and I think she just turned one if I recall, so how has your lifestyle adjusted? <laughs> yeah, we you know we <laughs>
1: like to just go big or go home, so we decided to do everything in like two years. <laughs> So uh, I have an amazing husband, uh, Aaron. Like I said, that I met. Here. He's actually from here, even though he had just moved back here from from DC at the time when we met. Um, but so he's great, and he's in sports too. So he actually works um, in Major League Baseball, and so you can imagine two parents in sports. So that's got to be interesting. <laughs> um, Ooh. So so we can make it work. But um, I think what I've learned the most is what's important, um, and it is not what was important beforehand. So you know, having a baby, and you know this obviously, and and I've. You know, watch you before I even had kids and, and sort of just, you know, your the, the love there and, the, and just that they become your life at at some point. Um and, and that is yes. what's important to me and of course my husband. Um I've learned patience. Um and so that's something I've, you know, certainly <laughs> been working on. Um but she makes it easy, right? You just, you you can't help but to, to make it easy. And, and she's amazing. And I think I've learned the most that, you know, people talk about, oh, you have a baby in sports and you can't do it. And, I, again, I've watched you do it with twins. And and you watch women do it. And you just do it, right? It's doable. It's doable.
0: It is. Yeah. It just, your life sort of, you know, that scene like in Santa Claus where you're thinking, how does Santa Claus come down the chimney? And he, like, changes <laughs> form. You know what I'm talking about? That movie scene. That's how. That's my description of how a woman goes from being a businesswoman to a businesswoman who also is a mom, <laughs> like it just somehow works, you know, and it, and everything just sort of falls into place because you're going to start to prioritize things that matter. And to your point, you start to define what matters. Um, so that's, that's great. I'm so happy to hear. I'd love to, that you, you already touched on that, that Aaron also works in sports. So Um, in the sense of like how you guys make it work and sort of team up on the parenting side and also make time for each other. I mean, baseball has a lot of games, you know, we, you know, in the NBA, you have a lot of events in addition to your 44 game schedule uh, in a normal year. Let's talk about normal year, not COVID yet. (laughs) Um, And um, so, so what's your, what's your setup? We have amazing
1: um, parents So her grandparents. uh, My mom actually flew in from Louisiana. She's retired. And his mom is here and retired in Cleveland. So we have more than enough help. And we are so lucky, Deanna, because again, I've heard stories, you know, you think of in-laws being here. My mom basically (laughs) moved in um, for the time that I, you know, was watching Ivy as a baby. And and so it's actually worked out really well. Like I said, his mom comes over. We have no complaints for help. And it is so much different, you know, when it's your own family and, you know, you feel that comfort level uh, and they can't get enough of her because, you know, it's my mom's first grandchild. so we're, we're, we're really oh, lucky, yes. I will tell you that, because I've got team members that are trying to figure it out, and <laughs> it's, it's tough. I have a lot of empathy for everyone right now with childcare.
0: For For us, like, yeah, we mm-hmm. moved to Cleveland. We didn't have anybody there, you know? So, you know, Mark, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, Mark stayed home with our kids, and so I'm so blessed to have a husband who is supportive in that way and who is willing to sacrifice his career and truly put a lot of belief <laughs> in me that no I won't pressure. screw this up for our family. <laughs> no no, it's, it's actually mm-hmm. extremely motivating, to be honest with you. Um, so the pressure, the yeah. weights, maybe I'm really good with weights, um, you know, and then move to Houston, same thing, you know, we don't know a single person in Houston. Um, it definitely uh, requires you to be uh, really good, you know, with the core that you have. So no, I'm so happy to hear that and um I'm so happy for you and your family and Aaron. It's it's a beautiful thing. I've I've enjoyed <laughs> seeing all the pictures on Instagram. No watching awesome. her Likewise, grow
1: up. Too, uh, especially with your young little entertainer.
0: Um <laughs> But oh he, my gosh, you know, yeah. I think
1: one thing that's really <laughs> good, like you said, it's doable. I think I want all women to know that because I think women really struggle with that in sports, especially to think that, okay, well, can I start a family? The answer is yes. But again, I've seen you do it with twins and 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 adding to the family. I just recently done it. It's doable. And I actually think it makes us better business leaders because you learn to prioritize and get things done differently. And I actually think it makes you better from a business perspective and as a leader. So um, I I, I just encourage people, if you are a woman in sports or any other industry that you know that, yes, you can be a mother in sports
0: so what has been the most rewarding experience or takeaway you
1: know i think it changes i think over time you know before when i started out it was about hitting the numbers the goals the thresholds right like that every accolade and reward you know you get super excited Mm -hmm. and adrenaline rush i think that's shifted for me um and to me when i see a young young girl that looks at me um in, in a way that they don't get to see themselves and they're like in this role and they get inspired and they get hope to where their, their, their aspirations may have been at one level. And now it's gone up a level like that for me is the rewarding part of this career. Um, You know, I'd also say, again, it's very focused. This podcast is focused on women. You know, I had a a team member. I remember when I started that came to me and said that she didn't think she would ever be in leadership. And she said it very casually, like just because when the people she sees in leadership roles are men that have women staying at home and she was a single mother and the reward for me was promoting her to leadership and watching her excel right now. Um, because, you know, that kind of mentality, and when you don't, a lack of seeing certain things, um, you, you, you think it's impossible. And so that is my uh, inspiration and reward in, in this career.
0: I mean, it's a true testament of why representation matters. You know, you, you don't, if you can't see it, it's hard to believe it, you know, and it feels impossible. And um, I think it's incredible that you've put yourself in a position and continue to succeed and just create so many opportunities for other women um, just by being you. And I think that's just absolutely incredible. So thank you. And finally, You know, what advice do you have for women looking to grow their careers in the sports industry? And I mentioned this earlier is just
1: please know that equal does not mean the same. Again, you're equal to men. You're not the same. So don't try to emulate or replicate men like your differences as a woman are what going to propel you and maybe make you stand out um, to make you more attractive in the role. Um, So so be yourself, Um, be proactive. You know, I know that's cliche, but but that's so important. And ask, you've got to ask for what you want. If you don't ask for it, you're probably not gonna get it. Um, So make sure that you do that. And then I think the most important piece, and you, you touched on this high level, is, is confidence. You know, I think the, why a lot of men in roles, they yeah. will take on a role without knowing anything about it, not knowing if they can do it, and then they'll just do it. <laughs> and we, on the other hand, and I think it's definitely a female trait, <laughs> you know, want to make sure we master it. We've, we've gone to school for four years for it, and we've, you know, before we even take it on, and you've got to stop that. Stop that and just take on the role and figure it out later. Um, I think that part is so important. Um, and don't let people put you in a box. You know, I think it's like sports, you know, I was know a post player, people didn't really let me outside of that, you know, like now, international players, you know, they, they, <laughs> there's no box, right, you can hit a three, you can go down low and, and it's right. same in work, like, don't let people put you in a box. I, I'm, luckily, I didn't put myself in a box in sponsorship when I branched out to community investment just to do something different. If you want to be a leader, you got to widen your range of what you're capable of doing. So just don't ever get stuck in a box.
0: And that's a wrap on episode 17. Thank you for tuning in and thank you to Shelly for sharing her journey and her wisdom with all of us today. Now, don't forget to follow Women Blazers on Instagram to stay connected and to tap into the Women Blazers Network and look forward to episode 18 dropping Monday, November 23rd, featuring Samantha Hicks, the chief revenue officer for the Reno Aces in the 1868 FC of minor league baseball and the USL. Until next time, have a great week.